it's time. That's a funny lyric, isn't it? The Roar is suddenly finding their way to slowly creep back during some football games, aren't they? Welcome everyone to the latest edition of the Brisbane Football Review. It's James Scott and Adam here on another Wednesday afternoon in Brisbane. And it's going to be a bit of a different show here for the DFS Fan Network because we've got the first A-League international break to deal with. Scott? Yeah, it's great actually to finally have the international break, put the spotlight on the national team, not have the domestic league run in the background. It's a good idea. Adam, how are you? It's amazing. It's laid all around the world. We finally caught on. Adam, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I was going to say, what is this thing called international break? We haven't seen that in Australia. But look, it'll be, it'll be interesting having no football in the middle of the season other than the, obviously the national team. So hopefully, you know, we'll get we'll get decent crowds not only um, here in Brisbane on Saturday night, but also Tuesday night in Sydney. We are, of course, very excited for the Socceroos playing this Saturday in Brisbane for the first time in what feels like forever. We've got some audio from today's press conferences as well, but before we do that, we probably should talk about the A-League round that's just been and gone. I suppose we should. We've got to start slow and build up to it, though. Absolutely. Well, that's actually the perfect analogy for the way that the Raw played on Saturday, I would say. During their 2-2 draw with Western Sydney in Mudgee, as the Wanderers live up to their name by having to play in another venue as Parramatta Stadium continues its rebuild. They did, but in fairness, that was a terrific playing service out there in Mudgee. I mean, look, fair play to a venue that doesn't get a lot of high-level, domestic, national-level sport. I mean, it was a carpet, basically. It's the best field I've seen in the A-League in a couple of years. It certainly was a good venue, Adam. Yeah, it's um, it's it's amazing that, you know, obviously, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it's supposedly in drought, but yet the, uh, the like I said, the, the grass is very, very green. But look, I... I think, yeah, you know, the whole sort of, you know, going out to the regional areas, I think, is is a good thing. I think, you know, there's sort of some, some logistical challenges, but, like, more eyeballs in the game, not necessarily ones that will get out to a regular game. And it's also a topic I saw come up during the week as well. I th- saw Vince Rigari talking about this is, Mudgee's not going to be the place it's going to be home of an A-League franchise anytime soon. So why not give them a chance to see Australia's top-level football competition. Yeah, you're taking the game to regions of the country that don't otherwise have it. I mean, Adam was up in Cairns a couple of years ago when the Raw took their game up into Wellington, I think it was up there. That was really good. So it, it does work when when done and executed and planned out in advance. It can be a really good exercise, and it was again on Saturday. And it seems like the uh, Wanderers actually, because it was their home game, as they, uh, you know, they've been planning for this for a while, so they've been making moves to make sure that they were able to put on what was a pretty good show by all accounts. I think it's just the, the whole sort of, you know, connection in the community, which is, uh, you know, I guess a hallmark of uh, Western Sydney Wanderers as an organisation. And um, there, like I said, when the main main drag, you know, is, is clad in red and black, you know, obviously it felt like a home game rather than a neutral venue where they're forced to go. Where... It did help that, obviously, the locals bought into the concept of the game as well. They got just over 5,000 as well, which is about 50% of the population of Mudgee. I yeah. know a lot of people travel from Sydney, but that's a really good effort as well. And 200% of the people that were interested in Gold Coast United. <laughs> <laughs> All right, first shot fired. Now, yeah. we probably should talk about the action on the pitch. And uh, the Wanderers, they started off on fire, didn't they? It was two goals to Oriol Riera in the 10th and 17th minute. It was, and it wasn't a great start again from Brisbane. They looked really, really flat in this game. I, I can't explain why they come out flat every single week, it seems. It's just... It's a, there's a, there's a something going on that's a problem that needs to be addressed. But the Wanderers were really good, you're right. Kamau looked excellent in the first mm. 20 minutes. It's not the first time Bruce Kamau has played really well against the Raw either. He was very good on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look, um, yeah, Bruce Kamau, well, he probably should have had the first goal, um, which ended up sort of, you know, coming off the uh, off the woodwork and then Oriol firing away. Um, and yeah, look, he was he was everywhere in the first you know twenty twenty five minutes, and and the Wanderers it was it was literally an ambush, and before in a blink of an eye, you know, Roar down two 0 and they were they were looking pretty dicey you know early on. And again, this slow start thing. If I was talking about it this year being a problem, but it was a problem last year as well. They've done it what, eight times now in the last season and a bit. One win, I mean, conceding a goal in the first fifteen minutes of the game, James. They've 
They've lost five times and have done that out of eight games. One, one, drawn two and lost five. This is a continual pattern now we, we, for the Raw conceding goals early in games. It's a bit of a problem. You yeah, we were, we were talking, Scott, you know, during the game, obviously, on, on Messenger, and you, said, and you said to me that, you know, it reminded you of the game last year in Wellington yeah. where the Raw were down 3-0. Um, it was a similar sort of pattern where they just, I don't think they got off the bus. No, it, it felt, it felt you like You mean off the it. charter plane they took to much Yeah, it was a charter plane. Yeah. Oh. Nice. Okay, wow. Well, yeah, top, no, top I, doing well. Well, for me, slow starts aren't exactly new for the Raw, though. I think it's just a case of, like, this side might not be as talented compared to its opponents as previous editions. And I suppose, you know, if they're not there from the start, they might not be able to just get by on abilities. I think they do need to try and work on their focus from the outset. And well, I don't know how play, like how opposition attackers are getting so much space when they make the run into the box. That's the most concerning thing for me right now. Like, not Without singling anyone out, I just feel like someone needs to step up and go, hey, maybe mark someone. See, that's a concern, but to me a concern on the other end is the Raw don't create chances like that. They don't get runs in behind people into the box. I don't recall any chances like that being created really on Saturday afternoon or other than round one. They had plenty of those chances in round one, but the three weeks prior, three weeks after that, I beg your pardon, not so much. But you're right, defensively, they do need to... It, they did tighten up. That's the thing. After about 20, 25 minutes, things did start to pick up defensively. It's just they started very, very slowly. Though I did, though I did notice even after the first goal, it seemed those Wanderers sort of they um, because obviously it's after Riera scored, uh, Botek had a great chance. Um, yeah. like they hit the either hit the post or drew a save. From drew a save. Yeah, I, I can't remember what it was, but it was a, it was a really tough. It was a really good chance, and then you can actually see uh, Wanderers sort of back off a little bit, and sort of it's almost like they were. I don't know if it was inadvertent or it was subconscious. They actually would like it's like they were playing for a one 0 win where they sort of you know the first ten minutes they're out hell for leather. As soon as they scored the first goal, it was like they were starting to back off and sort of inviting the Raw to come back into it. This obviously the second goal was as a result of a penalty which was missed, and then Riera followed up. But, well, it um, wasn't a missed penalty. It was a save sorry, penalty. Save penalty, of <laughs> course. Yep. No, no, you're right. It was it save, is. save onto the post. But um, yeah, but yeah, but it just seemed like the Wanderers almost invited the Raw back, even at two nil, and that's and that's when the Raw start to actually sort of you know, play patient, and start build from you know and build I think that's attack. a confidence issue for the Wanderers. In fact, they have had a slowish start as well. Although they won the week before in Wellington, they've a bit of a slow confidence start for them as well. So the, the early start, you would have thought for them going up two nil, well, they're going to go on with it here, but. Apparently not. And the one thing, I suppose the two goals did actually follow a pretty similar pattern where it was, you know, the raw, well, it was just uh, Riera following through. Let me just try that again. It was Riera with a follow-up on a loose ball. Yeah. In, in fairness, the, uh, on the penalty, they were, Bochak did, I watched it back, Bochak came from about 10 yards away from the penalty area and charged in to try and intercept the rebound if one came up. He just couldn't get there in time. Yeah. Thought, so there, actually, was raw play- there were raw players who were alert to I the possibility of the I actually thought that got the final touch. It would, have been own, it would not have been an own goal because obviously the, the uh, shot from Riera was on target. But I actually thought that he either... He, he actually probably got... He may have got the last touch on that. Should so, we get Snicko on that? Oh, it's, uh, well, don't get the VAR because yeah. I had to say it missed. So. <laughs> <laughs> They'd have said it was a goal for the raw yeah. and a red card yeah. to... Uh, yeah. Marcus Babble or whatever. A red card to Kevin Musket. I don't even know what games are on the VAR anyway. <laughs> anyway, Let's start that. Yeah, look, it was a VAR-free weekend for the for the like for the Raw at least. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we'll keep it going. The Raw's comeback was, I suppose, sparked by Alex Lopez, who scored his first goal for the club with what was a bit of a shot out of nothing. Really, it was. It was just. It seemed like there was nothing happening in the front third on the Raw in that attack. He just went, "Well, all right then, let's have a shot." And, it went in. I mean, it might be. It's. I don't, I don't think it's a like a blueprint of an attack you can build consistently. But as a different tactic to break things up when things aren't working for you, if you have a shot from there, it can change the way defenses plan against you as well. So it, it, it can have an effect, and it did in this particular instance. And that is something that we've been perhaps calling for yeah. for you know since round one, where we saw everyone, and round two, where yeah. we saw everyone sitting so far back. Maybe try and take a few more shots from range to at least spread the defense out, and they know that if. You know, someone like Alex Lopez is sitting there about 25, 30 yards out. You've got to have someone on him. The next time you got the ball in that area, they did press up to him a bit more, come out, which gave space for other players as well. So it does have an impact. And it did start the Royal comeback as well. Yeah, look, look, fortune favours the brave. Nothing was going on. No, Alex Lopez had a speculative shot. No, it... 
it beat Yanjevic as the posting goes in. You know, and it's a, it's a different ball game. And I think it was important that you know the raw even fight with five minutes to go to get on the score sheet because then then you thought you know what comeback is on. They could go, they could you know either mm. grab a share of the points or even go on and win it because I, like I said, Wanderers seemed to ease back. That, but that goal was important for the psychology more, and it also would have changed John Aloisi's uh, half-time speech. Yeah, it, all of a sudden, you, you're going into the half-time break thinking, all we need is one more chance. Yeah. Like, when you're down 2 you think, okay, well, yep. we've got to probably try and get one sooner rather than later so that we can then build up a second attack. And, and they were creating some really good opportunities at the very end of the first half as well. They had another couple of chances they could have taken as well. So they had real momentum going into the break, so which would have definitely changed the half-time team tour. And then just after the break, the Raw found a way to level it through Adam Taggart in the penalty spot. Yeah, second straight week penalty. It was. And clear penalty. Oh, clear yeah. penalty. Like, no arguments with either call, really. Yeah. Either penalty given in the game. But, yeah, what I suppose big thing for me would be, you know, Taggart at least, he's a, he's a man from the spot now. Oh, he's very confident at taking penalties, there's no doubt about that. I'd still like him to get more chances in general play. We haven't Not seen enough the penalty of that spot. Yet. Oh, look, if he scores a week from a penalty spot, that's fine, but you'd like... You can't guarantee you're going to get a penalty every week, so you'd love to get more chances created in that general play. What that does actually remind me of a little bit... You remember Jamie McLaren's second season with the Raw, where he wasn't... I think it was our first season doing this show, actually, where he wasn't necessarily converting a lot from open play, but he was still getting on the score sheet through the penalty spot. And I don't know, that's just one little thing. He started to fire up around Christmas time onwards, yeah. Yeah, so like we could see that happening as well. And Look, he's converting the chances... is getting, which are just from the penalty spot at the moment. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, a goal's a goal. And, you know, yeah, like I said, we, we wish that, you know, he scored more from open play. But at the end of the day, you know what, he's obviously, you know, if he, if he's getting the opportunities, he's taking the opportunity from the spot. And that's what you want. You'd be concerned that, you know, he's not scoring from general play, plus he's missing the odd penalty or two. Then you go, oh, geez, we've got, we've got a problem. But, you know, if, 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 if we get a penalty, it almost means that, you know what, it's almost an... Almost, I use the word almost an automatic goal, and that's Don't what you want. It. No, no, I might be, I'm not. But what, what I'm saying is the confidence is there that you know what if they run in, if there's a run to the box and a play gets taken down, it's almost you know the odds are very very good that it's going to be a goal. Despite all this, he I think he's equal second in the Golden Boot race as well. Yeah, well, so he's not exactly off to a slow start. Again, Three goals in four, you can't really complain too much. Sure. In the interest of consistency, you know, same as I was saying last year, results are results. It doesn't matter how you get yep. them. Goals are goals. Yeah. Hmm. But I want, to stay, I want to stay focused on the pitch a little bit right now because I, w- I actually do want to single out Matt Mackay because I thought he had a bit of a rough start to the game, but yep. boy, did he make up for it afterwards. He's not the only one who had a rough start either, by the way. No, 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 but yep. I mean, like, he's the one that really stood out to me as someone who just, like, he actually showed that resilience to say, eh, maybe not the way I would have hoped this game started, but I cannot leave. The way he responded, like, like we've yeah. been I'll saying... i it for- back on you, how do you have... What, what impressed you about its response? I you need to get some analysis for a change. Here we go. I'm the host. I don't <laughs> do it. Here we go. <laughs> I just like his drive. His passing yeah. looked a lot sharper and just overall his mobility and the way he organised everyone as well in midfield. I thought he did what he always does, which was talk. <laughs> yes, he does that. <laughs> Maybe definitely. not stuff that would always be broadcastable, but <laughs> <laughs> he did what you would expect a captain to do. Like Without, oh, without reverting yeah. to cliches, but that we've said you know he's probably got a battle for his position more than at any other point in his rural career, but boy, did he really respond. Look, and, that's, and that's what you want to see from Matt McCoy. We know that his time probably is sort of... It, it's, it's limited now. I think, you know, you know, I'd say, you know, it might be the end of the season that, you know, that he finishes up. But if you can get the performance out of him, which may statistically not be pretty or whatnot, but you know what? Leadership is not only just, you know, measured by statistics and whatnot. No, he noticeably had a very, very good, obviously, you know, easily his best game of the season. And, you know, if you can get that out of him, you know, 50% of time for the rest of the season, you know what, we're in a good spot. The substitutions, though, I do want to touch on this with you guys. In our final bit of on-pitch discussion, what did you make of them? Uh, it wasn't... Look, the first couple were kind of obvious, like... First one was it Enrique came on first? I believe so. I'm just yep. going back. Yeah, I think Enrique Twitter. came on first for Mickelson, which is a pretty standard change at this point. The second one, seventieth minute, Enrique for Mickelson. Yeah. Second one, I think who was second on? It would have been um, Bowls for Hingit. Bowls for Hingit. Yeah, because Hingit was grasping his yeah. groin. That and, one made wait. sense as well. You could have yeah. put Danny Ingham on in a more attacking fullback. The other, the last one was odd. But five minutes to go in the game, why wouldn't you just throw the young Dylan Wenzelhalls on? I mean, well, I, I if you just, look at our comment section, yeah, there no, are a lot just, of people a young, asking that. A young attacking player 
who the Wanderers wouldn't know a great deal about in terms of what he has to offer. But he, I think he could have been a bit of an X-factor. Whether he would have created anything or not, maybe, maybe not, but two. he could have offered something in the front there which may have opened up an opportunity. Yeah, two, two things on that. I, I think, one, I think the, the Hingert for Bowles substitution, I think, might have wrecked that plan. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and all, but also, as well, I think also I think at that stage of the game, I think John Woods is saying, you know what, I'm going to take a point. I, I know, I know, we don't like that as fans. You know, when when the sort of the coach is sort of saying, you know, what we're better off getting a point than risking losing it all. Um, but that, that to me, that's what it's sort of it's smacked of. It's like, you know, what that's negative coaching. I, I know, I know, and as I said, as fans, we don't like it. But also, as well, you imagine you imagine this the outcry if they did concede, they they throw Dylan. Dylan Wenzel Hall's on instead of you know, Daniel Bowles knowing that we've just we've got a uh, right back that's gone down and they end up losing the game 3-2 and they nearly did through yeah. when if you know, had not been for Josh Terrio hitting the post uh, imagine imagine the outcry that would have been so I can, I can understand the conservative way as fans we don't like it but I can also understand I can it I live with the, con- the um, more aggressive approach I prefer I would prefer him just to go for it. And if it rolled a dice, if it had have come up short, I think we might have been frustrated for a while, but we could have at least understood they were going for it. And when you haven't won a game in your first three and it's week four, it might have been a time to go for it in the last five minutes. It's all well and good for us to say yeah. it's sitting around our dining room table and <laughs> yeah. not have our jobs on the line. Exactly. Yeah, I I think, yeah, would have, I would have liked to have seen him go for the win, but... Yeah. Now, look, I, look to, to be honest, I'm, I firmly believe that if, if Jack Hingert was fit, I reckon it would have been... Dylan Wenzel Halls, but I think you know that substitution was probably what threw that game plan out. So I think Young Fall will have to wait another week. Yep. All right. So we will touch on very, very briefly the Jamie Young incident as well because the cameras caught him saying something that probably don't want to repeat. No, on. Talk about something out of the blue because this yeah. we're all saying for a free kick at the at that it time. It was a down the other end. It of was the a pitch. free kick. Was a free, oh, free kick just outside the box. And the next thing you hear because Teo Pelletier and Andy Harper stopped talking for a second just to catch their breath. And the next thing you hear is Jamie Young. Well, it turned out to be Jamie Young with a bunch of expletives. Yeah, because I was thinking, well, well, I was thinking in the what's office, happened is, yeah. is there like some all-in brawl on the field now or something? Because I didn't know who it was. Yeah, oh, I just thought it was... I honestly heard that and thought it was, you know, just something the pitch side might yeah. have picked up. Mm. Because, let's be honest, we've heard some quiet A-League grounds uh, and the pitch side mics have picked up some pretty full-on stuff, <laughs> yeah. let alone at the Queensland Reds games. <laughs> I didn't know if it was a player t- abusing another player or over the fence or what at that point. It was just a bizarre few seconds yeah. until it came out on social media what actually happened. But we should point out as well, like it seems to have been handled the best way possible. Yeah, yeah look, um, it, sort of, it, the, I'm not going to... I'm not going to go into judge and whatnot. Let's not worry about. You know, I think we all know it's wrong or whether you know what should have been said. I think, I think the main point to take out of this is the way this was handled by the clubs, the way it's handled by you know Jamie Young himself. I think you know we, I think we all knew. That's a big uh, we, mark for Jamie we, Young. We all know. I think we all know. We, we, we've sat down. We've been in the room yeah. with him. We've talked to him. We know what kind of a person he is. You know, and you know. And I think for the way the Raw handled it, you know, the way they, they condemned it, but also as well, I think we also got to sort of pay some respect to the Wanderers as well, how they, you know, quickly stomped us down and basically said that, you know what, this, quote, fan, you know, is not welcome to any more games. I think that's the way to handle it. I think, you know, it's an education thing, as Jamie Young said, rather than sort of, you don't want to make a scapegoat out of this guy. We don't know if he's where, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think it's, the way it's been handled, I think, is very refreshing. Yeah, it is. Like, they've owned up, well, everything's been owned up to, it seems like they've said, all right, and they're trying to find a practical solution rather than just trial by social media. Yeah. And look, I think we can all agree the person yeah. who said that is clearly in need of some education. Yes. Yep. I will say one other thing, Adam's right, we've all sat down with Jamie Young over the last couple of years, having done this show, and he's a great guy to talk to. Yep. He has great perspectives on all the, all sorts of things, football and stuff outside of football as well. He's great to talk to, and it's terribly sorry, sad that he has to put up with this stuff, but... Yeah, and yep. it was like, well handled by all involved afterwards. And I've seen some like some suggestions of oh, I was just trying to put Jamie Young off, and all I will say is if you want to put put a player off, just call him an idiot. <laughs> yeah. well, just, there, there, to me, there is no justification, but yeah, no, yeah. it is no, nice. absolutely. All right, now we've actually been going for almost twenty minutes, so I think wow. we might have to pull a pin on segment one. Okay, all right, we'll be back after this to talk about hang on, something. We'll be back after <laughs> this. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And we're back on the Brisbane Football Review. It's our first international break special episode. 
or something to that effect. It's we're ja- back with something. something. We're back with something, yes. It's James Scott and Adam here, and we're going to talk about both of Australia's uh, international teams right now, and we're going to start off with the Socceroos, who are in action this Saturday uh, at Suncorp Stadium. It's a 6.50 Brisbane time kickoff. I have to remember Brisbane time kickoff as well, mm-hmm. and 6.50 probably too. Uh, Is it 6.50 kickoff? That's what it's saying okay. on the website. Interesting. It's not daylight saving time too. Yeah, so, yeah, okay. seven seven fifty uh, ADT. Yeah, that sounds right. But yes, I'm assuming most of our listeners are from Brisbane. So yeah. if you're planning on watching yeah. or going to the game, even six fifty. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think I'll be uh, aiming to be there around about six thirty to be honest. Six forty nine. Oh, it's it's not a game against Wellington. <laughs> All right. So Scott, this is actually the end of a pretty long drought for the Socceroos yes. in terms of. Uh, FFA chosen matches in yes. Brisbane. The last time the FFA chose to bring a game to Brisbane was June 12, 2012. Before I'd actually started dating my wife. <laughs> There's a lot of things that happened in 2012 yeah. a long time ago. But yeah, it was the Japan World Cup qualifier, which the first, second game in that series of games for the so, soccer. Yeah. I was there a long one. time ago. Yeah. That they chose to bring a game. He obviously played the Asian Cup, but that was a tournament run thing, so... And we're and glad also, to have them back. It, yeah, it's great to have them back. Obviously, um, I yes, suppose I just figured. It's also, it, the government's fault to certain degrees. It's not all the FFA. I did. We f- can't just yeah. blame the FFA for all of this. No, that's true. But I did also just want to mention 2012 because it sounds better in terms of that. Yeah. You used to have your uh, days counter. I actually. gave up counting it. <laughs> I gave up counting it. It got to like 2,000 days or yeah. something. And just went, no, that'll do. That's good enough. Anyway, yeah, we might. Uh, we're going to talk about the Socceroos, obviously. Uh, I was able to get to the press conference. So, one other thing before we... Well, like, yep. like, long-term things. It's been 10 years ago, basically, since they had a fan day in Queen, Southeast Queensland, and they're having one, as, as we record now. Yeah. So, it's great for the for younger fans to get along and meet the players, get autographs, all that sort of stuff. It's fantastic. Yeah, I do think there is... Like, for some players, I do think there is a little bit of an element of excitement for them actually being able to come and play in Brisbane. Yeah. One of which is uh, Jamie McLaren, who, of course, spent two years with the Raw, and Asked him about some of his favourite memories playing for Brisbane. Yeah, okay. Um, my one that sticks out is probably the seven-minute hat-trick against Mariners. Um, we were getting beat and um, just kind of flipped the switch to the front third, Borello and stuff. And, uh, yeah, just really we won that game and just scoring a hat-trick in seven minutes was something that I'm, as a striker you're proud of and um, going home with the match ball and stuff like that. But uh, even, you know, semi-finals and, and, sorry, the quarter-final against Wanderers when, you know, we scored in, in extra time and the penalties and stuff. And those little memories, they... I've got that many here that I'm trying to think of right now, but uh, you know I love playing in front of this stadium, and um, obviously the Brisbane fans were fantastic for me, and, and obviously John Aloisi as well, and um, hopefully I can catch up with him. But uh, yeah, I've got some great memories here at Suncorp. And yeah, that's Jamie McLaren talking about some good memories of him with the Raw. Obviously, Scott, when you heard that, you yeah. knew straight away that it was McLaren talking about a seven-minute <laughs> hat trick against the Mariners. <laughs> good times, that great times. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I yeah just remember him having so many chances for the Raw as well. Like that was. He's he's obviously left a lot of fans here in Brisbane with fond memories of him. Oh yeah, look, he's um, he's he's a favourite son of the Roar, and um, like I said he he made his mark. And I, I dare say that his performances, you know, playing for the Roar is why he's now a Socceroo. And hopefully Graham Arnold plays to the crowd on Saturday night and gives him a significant run. Well, maybe from the start, hopefully, fingers crossed, because he hasn't had a great history in the national team, Jamie McLaren, in terms of getting a lot of opportunities. So hopefully he does get a chance. Well, actually, I didn't want to. Start off talking about this. Would you start Jamie McLaren, knowing that you're not playing to necessarily his home crowd, but uh, who else is in the squad as a striker? Uh, Urich I'm just, yeah, so I was just looking at Urich is there. Um... He played Yanu up front in the first game he played. I don't think he's in the squad though. Mm-hmm. So, I, to answer, yes, I would play Jamie McLaren because I think he's a young striker who, if he gets his confidence up in the national team, he could be excellent for the for the Socceroos for years ahead. So I would definitely be giving him every chance to succeed. Well, one thing he did talk about and. I didn't actually cut that clip up, but he was talking about how you know he can offer something different to Urich and Apogiano and whatnot. So and we have to, we know we all know Graham Arnold really loves big, strong target man strikers, but he also does have other quicker attackers running off them. I mean, Alex Brosk is a great example of that in his time at Sydney FC. So there is a role for Jamie McLaren in this side. I wouldn't be surprised to see if they uh, possibly even go with two strikers at some point. Now. Uh, Speaking of Graham Arnold, actually, there were a couple of questions about the difference in style under Graham Arnold, and this is what Jamie McLaren had to say about that. Uh, look, every coach is going to bring something different. Um, but uh, for me, for what I work, I've worked under Arnie, he's, 
he wants to be really direct going forward and, and obviously have the wingers and strikers really work together and uh, even the back four squeezing up and really getting that midfield boys on a half turn going forward and, and getting balls in the box because effectively that's that's what wins games and, and you know when you score goals they win games and the boys at the back keeping clean sheets like Maddie and the goalkeepers and, and, and the back four and um, that's we all click together and it'll be great. And this is what Matt Ryan had to say as well. Yeah, I just think um, the balance across you know the whole time being in camp. Um, you know, in my experience with him in the past, his attention to detail um, in his coaching style and you know his understanding and the experience in the game as well. You see, you know, is real paramount to I think his success as a football manager as well. And um, you know, I'm really excited you know about the present now and the future moving forward with the national team. You know, he's demonstrated time and time again how successful he can be as a manager wherever he's gone, and um, you know, I have no doubts. Um, you know, he's going to you know bring that sense of success here to us as a national side, and um, just fortunate every day to, to be in here and working with him and working with the boys and working towards those uh, successes. So obviously, there's a lot of optimism from the Socceroos players about the influence uh, the Graham Arnold can have on this squad, and I suppose that's fair enough. Like he's worked quite yeah. closely with Matt Ryan. Yeah, of course it's fair enough. They want to start on Saturday, James. They're not going to say anything <laughs> negative about the coach, but no, you're right. Graham Arnold's... Um, there was a lot of... Like, I don't know what the word would be. A little, maybe frustration might be the right word with um, Bert Van Marwijk's tactical approach to the national team, not quite believing in what the Australian team could do in an attacking sense. I think Graham Arnold's going to bring that back. And we've seen that in the first game already. He did bring that back to a certain extent. And I think that's something he's going to bring a lot of. And the Australian players love to attack teams. So if that's the way he's going to go with it, of course they're going to be happy. And there is actually quite a lot of attacking talent on... Look, I think that's the advantage of having an Australian coach like Graham Arnold, who's been in the A-League for a long time. He's seen many of these players come through the ranks and whatnot. And like I said, he's going to to play their strengths. He's going to play to what they can play. Whereas I suppose with Van Marwijk, it was a case of, you know, I only know these names on paper. And what he saw in training camp. Whereas I think Graham Arnold, he, he, I think it's also about reputation as well as what they can do in camp. I think that's sort of, I think it'll play to, to the strength, especially the younger players that's coming through the squad. One question that I actually, I wanted to ask, uh, especially McLaren, but talking about how how he goes being coached by someone who's actually coached against him before. Because like, if you're a striker, wouldn't you love to have that, I suppose, input from someone who said, all right, well, I've tried to stop you and this is how I either did or didn't succeed doing that. Yeah, absolutely. But also with McLaren, he's absolutely extremely lucky with the coaches that he's had to work with. I mean, up here with the Raw John Aloisi, he's a great striker. Now he's got Graham Arnold as a as a coach of the national team, another great striker as well. It's brilliant for him to be able to get that advice on little nuances to his game that he can add and change to improve. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now, one player who is potentially going to be in line was the third participant in today's press conference was James Jago, or Jimmy Jago, as I think he was known in his time at Adelaide. There were, all the players were there actually uh, launching this season's NAB Young Footballer of the Year award, and they're all three previous winners, obviously. But this is what Jago had to say t- uh, when talking about his possible debut. Yeah, obviously it would be massive. You know, it's something that I've I've pushed for for a, for a long time, and obviously been in and around a, a few squads. And, and I always say every time you, you come into camp, it makes you hungrier to sort of uh, come back next time. And I think you know under Arnie, there's been a lot of a lot of players that've had a new lease of life, and, and you sort of you see boys, you know, there's a lot of fresh, fresh faces, and, and, and boys re- really feel there's a sense of opportunity there, and, and there's a lot of competition for spots. And you know, for someone who, who's maybe been on the fringes, that's that's all you can ask for is, is a chance and a opportunity to put your best foot forward and, and you know that will be again the case for me over over these next couple of days and this camp and and yeah that's all, all you can do is put your best foot forward in training and 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 you know show what your strengths as a, as a player are and and yeah that, that's what I'll be aiming to do. Now that audio was uh, provided with the assistance of Ed Jackson from AAP so we should say thanks to Ed for that he's replacing Vince Regari so we're looking forward to seeing him around. Yep this season and if he's listening to this which I hope he will yeah we'll have to see how we go yeah look forward to seeing him around the place certainly alright now we should actually talk about the games a little bit here and there Uh, starting with Saturday obviously Socceroos it's a friendly I suppose for me I'm not too concerned about what the final score is unless it winds up 5-0 either way yeah it's going to be a close game probably a goal in it either way you would think both teams will be looking at it as an opportunity one of the last opportunities, in fact, to get a real competitive hit out ahead of the Asian Cup against a team who they may very well meet in the later stages of that tournament. And I think Korea have also got a game against Uzbekistan 
next week here as well. So for them, they've got two good games down here to prepare for the Asian Cup. This is really the last window with the Asian Cup starting in the first week of January. There's no game, no, no warm-up games before that. That's right. And there is actually also one other little thing uh, going on on Tuesday as well with the soccer is other hit out in this international window. It's a farewell to a Tim Carhill, Cahill... Never heard of him. <laughs> some, some, some player that's emerged in the Indian Superannuation League. Yes, of course, it is a farewell to, I would say, probably the most memorable soccer of the last 12 years, yeah. who, someone who scored many, many, many important goals and really he's leaving a huge hole in the team. He, yeah. along with Milay Jednak yeah. as well. Like, that's probably yeah. worth noting as well. They're the two players who have retired since the World Cup, and yeah, you're right. Jednak's such an underrated player, but with Cahill, I think he's going to get five minutes off the bench or something against Lebanon, so it's a good... It's a nice... Yeah, well, hopefully the soccer has got the game wrapped up by then, and he can... They can try and team up for a goal, which would be good. Or eight. <laughs> that's it. One, other dis- one final discussion, I suppose, what, that I wanted to touch on with the Socceroos as well, is... Who do you think is going to wind up being the captain? Now, I well, a couple of the names that really leap out, obviously, are Trent Sainsbury yep. and Matt Ryan. I'd go with Sainsbury. He's been a leader in the past. That, to me, would be the most logical option. I would go with Sainsbury, even if the tiebreaker is solely just down to the fact that I don't like making a goalkeeper captain, but that's just a personal thing for me. Yeah, oh, look, I think Trent Sainsbury. Um, I know um, Robbie Cruz's name has been bandied around as well. Oh, um, please let that happen. Soccer Twitter <laughs> down south will absolutely love it if Robbie Cruz is captain of the Down south? Right? What about here? Yeah, he's <laughs> slightly more liked here than he's down south. Right? Yeah, no, but uh, look, uh, Trent Sainsbury for me, I think. I'm changing my pick to Robbie Cruz now just to annoy everyone else. <laughs> One name that actually hasn't been uh, thrown about, though. What about Martin Boyle for captain? Robbie Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> yes, obviously. Uh, We've got to get a Queensland captain of the Socceroos. Yeah. Well, Scottish winger Martin Boyle could also be in line for his debut. It seems like he's someone that's rated quite highly by Graham Arnold and his staff, so we could be seeing Martin Boyle. And soon. a good job to find him as well, because it's a very obscure player to be able to pick up. He has never been to Australia, I don't think, until this week, so yes. hopefully he can make an impact. If the full press conference audio does go up with uh, hopefully better audio than what I was able to record myself, which is why we had to get some help from Ed today. Uh, yeah, we, um, yeah, you can hear some interesting stories about what Martin Boyle's got to do with the national anthem. Oh, okay. Oh dear. Yeah. It might be worth the price of admission. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's going to be singing "I Will Survive" on the big screen though, like Bess Barisha did. <laughs> All right. So what we're going to do? We're going to leave you with the one last line from Jamie McLaren, and then on Martin Boyle, and then we're going to come back and talk about. The Matildas, who just have wrapped up their international break. So we'll be back after this. This is Brisbane Football Review. Yeah, Boyle is different. He's a, he's a how do I say? He's a dynamic winger who, who can come inside and really take on players. He's very direct, and um, I, I like playing with him because he beats his man and he'll just he'll just whip the ball across the box. And for me, I have to be in those areas. So it's kind of like we can do it for club and country. It'd be great. But it's, uh, it's just great to see him get the recognition he deserves, and I'm really happy for him. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And we're back with Brisbane Football Review. International break number one. Special number one. Something like that. Either way, it's James Scott and Adam here for the Daily Football Show Fan Network. And we're going to talk about, not something, the Matildas. The um, Australia's team at the moment. If you... Australia's most popular team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> something like that. They mm. are, actually. Yeah. It's at the weekend of the... The Socceroos are Australia's officially most famous. I think the Matildas are more famous than the rug- well, more popular than the cricket and the rugby. So, well, having uh-huh. seen some of the rugby results yeah. lately, I don't blame them. No. <laughs> well, so the Matildas have just wrapped up a two-game series against Chile. Um, yep. Game one was Saturday afternoon, and boy, that that went about as badly as it could have for them. Well, well, it did, but they created some unbelievable chances in this game. They could have won the game six-three if they'd taken their chances. Just three. Very uncharacteristically sloppy defensive mistakes from the, from the Matildas, and fair play to Chile, they capitalised on them. Look, if I'm being totally critical the same way with another team, I honestly thought they were really sloppy. Like, they were misplacing passes, treading on the ball and everything, and they got punished for the mistakes. The word complacency comes to mind. Um, like, you know, that's the thing. And, and, no, and that's, that, that's not a dig at certain players. That I just think, you know, when you take on... In the last three games since this sort of this ranking stretch goes, you take on 
um, number four in the world in France, number three England. When you look at the next game and think, oh, world 39, you're thinking, well, obviously the standard's going to drop off. And I think, that, I think you know, fair play to Chile that, you know, even after the um, early Van Egmont penalty, you thought, okay, maybe they're not, they're not, you know, much chop and the amount of chances that they were creating. But you know what? Three shots and goal? No, three goals, you know, and like I said, it, it's, a, it's a good lesson to the Matildas that even a team three, three places below them can still beat them. You mentioned world ranking number 39. I think they're better on that, though. Yeah, there is a bit... As we've seen with the Socceroos, you know, they're either as or better than or not as good as what their world ranking might suggest. Well, the FIFA rankings are a joke anyway. Yes, but what I do want to actually say, though, is yes, they were disappointing and you know, probably deserve a bit of a wake-up call after that game. It was a nice reminder because I feel like, by and large, the Matildas have been on a pretty much straight-up trajectory over the last, what, two-ish years. Yeah. And now, all of a sudden, they're really... Like, they needed... I don't want to say they needed that setback, but it was a good sort of reminder that they can't just roll out of bed and think that they're going to beat any team in the world. Look, I think at the end of the day, you know what, you'd, you'd rather happen on the... You know, in November 2018, rather than in France in 2019. Now, if this is the wake-up call to say, look, you're not, you're not invincible, you're not infallible. Because like I said, even the game against France, which they lost, mm-hmm. you could argue, well, you you put the six players that missed that that missed that game, you put that in the in the side, the strongest team, which they did, pretty much did against uh, Chile. They, they they could beat France. They could probably beat anyone at the moment. That's just how good the Matildas are. So losing that game may not have been the worst thing. Like, and in any day, it's an international friendly. So, yeah, I know people are talking about World Cup draw ramifications and stuff with this loss, but this was a great time to have one if you're going to have one because it's yeah. a great time for a wake up call. And even if they do not fall in the top six, I think it is. Well, like I can I can tell top you top six or eight, whatever it is for the rankings for the top seedings for the World Cup. Even if they are a second seed, they're good enough. To, no, I can, I can to tell you up. that. You know, Scott, we try to win every game. Yeah. Of course. I can <laughs> tell you that um, there, there was a game, the, uh, it was uh, Netherlands and Switzerland overnight, fish nil all, which, which actually guaranteed Socceroos at oh, least six. Matildas. Matildas. Sorry, Matildas, sorry. My... Guaranteed Australia. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would be a surprise. No, no, yeah, so the Matildas will be seeded at the World Cup. That's... Uh, well, that's good news. Yeah. But even if they weren't seated as a top-ranked team, I think it wouldn't make much difference. Oh, exactly. And we Absolutely. are... We're going to talk, obviously, more about France 2019 over the coming months when we have Angela back on as well. And, yeah. you know, I even with the disappointment of Game 1, it, to me, still says, you know, the Matildas maybe not favoured to win the World Cup, but I don't think it's out of the question for them. I feel like they should be confident in their yeah. ability that... Well, the expectations are clearly there around this team because when they lost this game, there was it wasn't it was a bit of disappointment. A lot of people were very disappointed and about the fact they you didn't know lose. What? And that, was, that's not, and that's not a bad you, thing. It's it's the shows that the expectation is there and that they are good enough to win. It right. is nice having a national team that is, that is the expectation rather than yeah. the surprise. Looking also as well, like healthy crowds, there's sixteen thousand. Um, it was I think it was sixteen thousand. I missed the. I wasn't covering the game, so. I don't have the exact number. Yeah, yeah, no. It, it was, was it was a big, it was a very good crowd at Penrith. To our twelve and a half thousand last night in Newcastle on a school night. That's like I said, two very healthy crowds for for women's football. Where you know what, even think three or four years ago, if you got five hundred, they were they were they, they were they were happy. But now you're getting five figures, and I think this this is this is a team that you know they are you know definitely on the map as far as you know Australia's national teams. Well, speaking of last night, the first half. Cool. Maybe we thought there could have been something going a little bit awry, but then the second half, oh my god. I'm going to need you to describe the first half to me because I missed it because of daylight savings time confused (laughs) me. So I'm going to need you to tell me what happened in the first half because I haven't seen it. That reminds me, Scott, Saturday's game is at 6.50 Brisbane time. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no. I was on on duty last on that game. And look, um, it went down the same pattern where, you know, the Matildas, they looked like that, you know, they were going to score. Um... There was a, the great opportunity for uh, Milana Candy late in the half, but Chile were actually sort of they're going with them. But that second half, wow, that was um, I didn't miss much in the second half. No, that, like I said, it's half. almost like all the combined chances they had in three three halves of football for is just basically ill was in that second half, and that was. Um, and and you, you're hearing compliments from people who don't necessarily follow women's football, saying how exciting it was, how great it is. That's a that's yeah. a great thing for the sport. It is. It was good just to see them just be as yep. ruthless as we were yep. talking about. Just going, like 
taking their chances, and that really yeah, is what they're going to have to... The combination in the front door between Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford Ooh. is absolutely dynamic. I mean, there's some talk about... Caitlin Ford got a hat-trick. Yep. Got a hat-trick, absolutely. Sam Kerr got on the score sheet as well. There's some debate about what is the Matilda's best front third combination with all the amazing attacking talent they have. Well, those two have to be in there. And then whoever else is there is complimenting those two because yeah. whether it's Legazzo, Devanna, Kai Simon, yeah, Michelle Heyman, or anybody else, too, Hayley Razzo, whoever yeah. else you want to throw in there, that those two are absolutely unbelievable. It's a great problem that Alan Stadich has is that, you know, who who does play with, you know, Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford in that front third. And, and he's got so many, even though Emily Gilnick scored a Gilnick's very, very good one, goal, yeah. um, you know, in that, you know, for the fifth goal, like that was, that was a, that was a very, very good goal as well. So even she's in the frame as far as, you know, being part of that front third. So just a little bit of a behind the scenes uh, yep. note before we wrap up, wrap up the Matildas discussion. According to this, they beat Korea, the Matildas. What? In the run sheet, it says... Oz oh, did I put it down wrong, did I? Yeah. Great, so thank Scott's you. Oh, hey! Hello! <laughs> See, they can read anybody whenever they feel yeah. like it's great. Yeah, I, I, give them a, I give them half a chance, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All well, right. no, no, um... No, uh, Sun Hing Min and uh, Key. Yeah, it's a bit disappointing yeah. to see that. Um, for back to soccer, is the two Brisbane connections with Ki the South Korean team aren't yeah. going to be here. But anyway, that's a completely different tangent. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. That's mm-hmm. all right. I'm going to point out all your mistakes from now on. No. <laughs> Why do you think I delete those? <laughs> anyway, we're going to keep moving. Um, and just say, yeah, obviously, Matilda's been and done. We are going to quickly touch on the FFA votes discussion and mm-hmm. talk about the forum that was on Monday night. I don't remember a whole lot of it because I'd been working since the start of the Manchester derby that morning. So I was fueled by mostly caffeine by that stage. But it sounds like Craig Foster put forward a pretty good case to at least be considered as a viable chairperson. It is on my list of things to listen to. I will get around to it, but it does sound like Craig Foster put his best foot forward in this case. And I think he, before, I think he would be an excellent FFA chairman. He's always had the, the good of the game at the heart of his what he's doing, whether you agree with everything he says or not. He's always looking for the good of the game. Look, to me, when, he would be the best choice. When it's all said and done, Craig Foster's probably the most visible and most well-known of the candidates running for the board positions. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think... I think the fans are crying out for whatever you think of him, you know, as a pundit on SBS. I think he's he's really showing that, you know, he does have the whole game at heart. And, you know, at this stage, after the, the lower era, especially lower junior, I think I think the fans, I think they want confidence in a football person that's, that guides the FFA for at least for the, you know, for the short to interim term. And not to make his case for him too much, but he has been involved in all different levels of the game. Obviously, he's been around the national teams a lot, been involved in the media. He's done some great work coaching in juniors in New South Wales. He does great work with the Indigenous programs. He's done. He's been all around the place involved in football. He's across a lot of it, so he was a good choice. He's at it best, Adam. He's a football guy, and I didn't quite like his uh, way to... I suppose separate his punditry from his candidacy, where he says, "Oh yeah, sometimes I just say, say things to you know push the discussion a certain yeah. way." And I was like, "Okay, well, that's, and the pundits what he's paid for." But yeah. as long as he's not doing that, it's I suppose the chair of the yeah. FFA. But again, that's just me. But yeah, I think there's a lot to uh, talk about. We'll probably get into this in a little bit more detail next week when we're looking for a little bit more filler when we don't have the elections in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's why I said yeah. we're going to use it as filler for next week. Otherwise, I think that's going to wrap up segment three, and we're going to come back and preview this weekend's W League action. So we'll be back after this. This is Brisbane Football Review. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And so for the final segment of the Brisbane Football Review, international break special number one. I think it's episode 12 of the season for us now. You've got James Scott and Adam with you on... What is now Wednesday night, by the time we've actually finished discussing as well. Scott's just reminded me that uh, we haven't included any plugs in the run sheet, so I'll go through mm-hmm. that right now and talk about... Uh, you can get in contact with Facebook, The Raw Review. Twitter is at BNE Football. Email is brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. You can uh, yeah send in any comments, mm-hmm. questions. Uh, discussion the host. <laughs> <laughs> discussion topics you want us to cover on the show we will talk about it especially next week when we might be looking for <laughs> filler and yeah we've got a yeah, and you can also listen to our podcast we've got several platforms so leave us a rating on whatever you're listening to us on it's Wooshka iTunes Radio Public TuneIn and Stitcher I'm pretty sure 
Yeah, it's probably right. Sounds like what you normally say. Yeah. Close enough, anyway. I, I'm try- I'm doing this off the top of my head. Right? <laughs> well, to be fair. Yeah. Well, season three, I figured I should probably take over the plugs, yeah. since you guys have done it. Uh, season took, one, season two. Took me 50 episodes yeah. to get into it. We should actually see... How many we, we got on? sacked pretty quickly. I think we're on, what, 78 episodes all up, so... We're getting close to that, yeah. yeah I think we'll be on 100 episodes by the end... Uh, probably about March or so. Yeah, be around that. Alright, so... Hopefully we'll make finals and then some death to get to 100. Yeah, 22 more episodes. I think we should be fine. Yeah. Anyway, National Youth League, we're going to touch on that very, very quickly. Perth played Brisbane in Perth, of course. Uh, Perth went ran out 2-1 winners with uh, two first-half goals and Emlyn Wellsmore scored a consolation in the 89th minute. A, uh, note for the A-League players, Steph Negro played 90 minutes in captain the yep. side as well. And that's pretty much all we know about the game because... Based on Twitter, I do know, I think... Oh, sorry, reading the match report, I do believe Christian Eloise had a great chance at 2-1 mm. to equalise late in the game. Yeah, as I just tell Scott yep. to fix up his yep. uh, microphone. Sorry, if you didn't hear it, Christian Eloise apparently had a great chance at 2-1 to equalise and... Yes. Course, saved it, but. And before anyone asks again, no, it is not Ross or John Aloisi on the bench for the next side. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, um, no, I, was, I was covering the game on, on Facebook and Twitter. And, uh, as much thank as you, we could. Uh, yeah. th- thank you to our usual uh, correspondent over in, in Perth uh, for, for her um, comments. And she'd say that in the first half that basically that... Um, it was very similar, I'm sort of discussing, it was very similar to when they play the MPL, in the MPL against the best sides where they were being dominated and they, they struggled to really do much as far as attacking-wise go. Second half was a little bit better, but um, but yeah, but the good thing at least is that Perth Glory official count was actually, um, was actually providing, updates. providing updates this year. So it took them 10 years start. to get in on this youth league thing first. Well done. Well done, guys. I don't think they're totally in on it anyway, based on uh, the comments from Tony Sage. <laughs> Anyway, uh, talking about uh, awards, obviously first month of the, se- of the A-League and W-League season have been and gone, and the Roar have announced that Carson Pickett and Eric Bortiak are the winners of the La Dolce Vita Players of the Month for October. And One of my favourite restaurants. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually should probably go back there at some yeah. point. Do they get a free dinner at that restaurant for winning the award? I don't know. I, I remember, hope so. Maybe be good for them if they do. Maybe Bortiak would probably prefer the old Rue de Paris on Park Road. <laughs> <laughs> he might. But... We are going to use that as a bit of a pivot point. Can Carson Pickett score again this weekend? Absolutely. Because, of course... He's going Raw... for the golden boot, so absolutely he's going to score this weekend. <laughs> the Raw's W League side are in action this Sunday afternoon at Lions Stadium at Richlands. I believe it's a 3 p.m. kickoff. Okay. And... I think. <laughs> and, yeah, they've got a pretty good record against Adelaide. Played 15, won 11, drawn 2 and lost 2, winning their last 4, including what was a pretty impressive comeback away from home last season. Mm. They have won their last 4, but a lot of those games have been very close. They had to make the comeback, as you mentioned, away to Adelaide last year. And I think it was a late, late winner from Hayley Razzo in the game up at Suncorp last year. So I do... I, they've yes, they've yeah. been able to win the games against Adelaide, but they've been close. So, yeah. there you go. There we go. So it's a home game for the Raw this Lion Stadium will be the 42nd different venue Brisbane have played at and the 11th different home game venue. A, ve- a complete pl- set. Yeah, it's a, very close too. A place that we're actually quite familiar with after spending yeah. a bit of time there during oh, yeah. the FFA Cup and MPL season. So, Yeah, been there a few times. Just a bit, yeah. Yes, I've seen that they've, uh, it should be a good surface. They, um, they've obviously done a bit of renovation after the... Um, Never. Yeah, I know, I've seen the pictures. So. Well, it's good enough for the Socceroos to be training. Yeah, so. is it? They okay, are, there you so. go. That's where they're training at the moment. Oh, good. Yeah, so I'll no, from tomorrow then. So it should be a nice nice pitch for the, for the, uh, for the ladies on Sunday. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, Yuki Nagasato arrived at the weekend. She was at the fan day at Cav Road State School. Which is over there. We're not getting that again. <laughs> not this again. <laughs> is she, you reckon uh, she's going to get a start? I wouldn't be surprised. A player like that, you don't bring quality in like that to not utilise it. And I think probably been training for a week now with the Raw, I'd say definitely. And I suppose with a limited season as well, you want to get the combination between her and Ubagagu up yeah. as quickly as possible. Who she, she scored um, for she's, England, for England yes. on, on debut. So she's, she's uh, found the back of the net, so hopefully yeah. she can transfer that form from international to W League. But that's, that's going to be a formidable combination, that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think there's there's a lot to look forward to with this one. I think Adelaide probably... I don't know why. I've just got this weird feeling like it's going to be a real test for the W League side. Yeah. It's, going to be a, it's going to be a close game, it always, which it always is with Adelaide. So I don't think they've ever really beaten Adelaide convincingly. So I think it'll be another close game, but I think they're all 
should win this game. If they're as good as we think they are, and I believe they are, then they will win this game. Defen- defensively, they've got to be careful. Obviously, you know, big, the big signing of Michelle Heyman. Um, yep. Obviously, that gives them um, where probably in the past they've they've lacked that that sort of clear-cut goal scorer Adelaide, and that's probably what's actually cost them against the mm. Raw. So to have the likes of Michelle Heyman in the line, um, the defence is going to have to be switched on. But this is yeah. probably the best the Raw are when they're on. They're probably the best defence in the league. So look, it's going to be it's going to be a good game. It's going to be one to watch. So if you can get out there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Please do. They've barely given up a chance in the first two weeks, so hopefully that continues. And, the, and Mackenzie Arnold's also in great form as well. Yes. Clean sheet for the Matildas. Yep. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying it's any anywhere related, but you notice three goals conceded without yeah, Mackenzie Arnold, yeah. zero yeah. goals with her. So you're saying Lydia Williams is rubbish? Is what you're saying? <laughs> not at all. It's your words, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> that's what. That's the argument you're making here. No, I'm just saying Mackenzie Arnold's better. Okay, I'll buy that. We'll go with that. Yeah. So obviously, like. Coming off a clean sheet for the Matildas, so Arnold's got to be pretty confident as well. And obviously, Claire Polkinghorne in front as well. Yeah, absolutely. And might be a bit of a reshape back four. Maybe Caitlin Torpio move back into the defence now after the two-week break at right back. And maybe that's where Nagasato comes in, in that front third. Who knows? And we do want to close off with a little bit of an update we got from the Raw's account on uh, Facebook and or Twitter this, uh, earlier this afternoon where they actually had a video of Hayley Rasso back yeah. with the ball at her feet. Yes. So yeah. that's very good news and obviously mm-hmm. it's something we're tracking quite closely mm-hmm. and we hope we can see her back on the field as soon as possible. So they can add a lot to both the Raw and the Matilda side. Absolutely. So hopefully they can get a fit and firing for 2019 for the Raw back end of the season and into the World Cup. Yeah. Alright, so I think that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. What do you guys think? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's fine. I'm hungry and want you guys out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> this is how the show ends most weeks. He throws yeah. us out quite literally. <laughs> I'm not that strong. <laughs> All right. So thanks everyone for listening. Obviously, get out and enjoy the football this weekend. There are three excellent games in Brisbane. You've got the Youth League at uh, Logan at 3 p.m. Saturday, which does give you enough time to get back to Suncorp Stadium yes. for the Socceroos, which is obviously the big feature mm-hmm. event. And then the W League is a nice uh, Sunday to close out the weekend. So there's a lot to get out and enjoy, I would say. Always. As Adam just almost tries to break the table. (laughs) But yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Enjoy the football this weekend. We'll be back next Wednesday to discuss both international friendlies and yeah, preview the upcoming weekend of A League and W League action. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you then.